0: every time I hear this passage about baptism into Christ with the beautiful words there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I focus in on the words that preface Paul's statement you have clothed yourselves with Christ. When Paul was Saying you have clothed yourselves with Christ, he was helping, paint, uh, uh, remind the Corinthians or, or the Galatians of an image that they would have been familiar with from their baptismal practices. In those early days of the church, uh, people were baptized largely as adults, and um, following their period of learning, the Contents of the Christian faith, they were invited to the sacrament of baptism, the experience of baptism with a a pool of water, and they would take off their old clothes, go naked into the water, go down under and come back up and be wrapped in a white robe to symbolize being clothed in the new life that Christ offers. There's another uh, powerful image of a robe in the scriptures, in the book of Revelation. It's about, um, it's captured in the, the old spiritual, I've got a robe, you've got a robe, all God's chilling got a robe. When I get to heaven, gonna put on my robe, gonna shout all over God's heaven. That's also thinking of the baptismal robe and um, We sometimes still uh, baptize babies in long white gowns, um, reminiscent of the white robe that was put on those first believers as they came out of the baptismal waters. So Christian life is lived uh, between two sets of white robes. So in my mind, I then go to uh, a really important white uh, robe I put on. I I, uh, remember well the time I went shopping for a wedding dress with my mother. And she had planned the day for it. And I went into the first store and saw a dress that I thought was perfect on the rack. It was one of those ones that had probably been returned by somebody else. So it was really super inexpensive, but not cheap. And um, and I loved it, and I, I thought, I'm getting this one. Uh, and I went to try it on, so excited, and it turns out it was too small. Uh, but not all that small, and I had a year to get ready. So uh, with that inspiration motivating me of that robe that kind of fit but was still really not... Uh, not wearable. I joined a a, a place where I started swimming and started working on uh, changing my diet so that I could get into that uh, dress. I was a little bit over optimistic because it still was a little tight, but it was definitely wearable. Um, And I always think about that when I hear this phrase of Paul's, you have put on Christ. Because in a lot of ways I feel like when we are garbed in a baptismal robe, we are putting on Christ, but it doesn't always fit us really well. And for the rest of our lives, we are trying to grow into a well-fitted garment. And it suggests to me that what is uh, being alluded to by Paul is this this gracious process that that Christ invites us into, uh, not only of being saved, but of being formed in Christ's spirit. One of the most powerful things about the wonderful uh, memorial service yesterday for Norma Ginther Uh, was that there were speakers, including some of her foster children. Uh, Norma and Jeff had almost 50 foster children that they uh, helped raise, some for many, many, uh, starting from young, but oftentimes um, Norma and Jeff would take children who were coming right out of juvenile detention facilities. And, um, and they would help them go on into adulthood. And one of their foster children spoke, um, and it was really powerful. He was one of those young people who went to the Ginthers house right after he had come out of juvenile detention, and also uh, having had been spent most of his time in a home that. Had very difficult conditions, and um, and as he talked about uh, his life, he really kind of started out by saying, you know, I think of my life in terms of BG and AG time, before Ginther and after Ginther. And uh, he actually said he had some other foster homes that he sometimes was at too, but he. Uh, they were supposed to be his respite care, and they really were. And sometimes he wanted to be there so much he deliberately misbehave at his other settings so that (laughs) the family would need to send him to respite care so he could connect with the Ginthers. And interestingly, uh, he and Norma, he said, they they used to just fight a lot because uh, she would really give him limits and and hold him accountable and and give him some real firm guidelines. But there was something about that place that showed him a kind of caring and a kind of confidence in him that began him on a journey that was yielding a good life for him. So before Ginther time, after Ginther time. Now, it was clear from the contents of his talk that that was not a transformation like that, but that it initiated a process that had new energy because there was a new relationship and energy put into him by their love and guidance and their willingness to hang in there with him when he had to get there sent by others for respite care, for their respite care. I sometimes uh, think that uh, that's not a bad image. It really struck me for what happens in the Christian life when we come to understand who God sees us as, and what God has done for us. We are given a new energy so that we can have before Christ's time and after Christ's time, and we can keep growing into that beautiful, loving garment that has been given to us. So, uh, as I've been thinking about this passage, we've been uh, reading the book, a book by Elaine Heath about our anxious world and I would say the anxious church in the anxious world in which we live right now. Uh, And um, she she lifts up the, the wisdom of the book of Galatians because Paul was also guiding the church through an anxious time of change. When Paul was stating the baptismal formula, reminding them of what began their life in Christ, he talked about pairs of uh, relationships uh, that were power-based and, and uh, seen perhaps as even oppositional. Jew and Greek, male and female, slave and free. They're, those things are brought into a new unity in Christ. Now, it's easy to hear those, uh, those words and think of them in their implications uh, for us today, we would fill in some additional, uh, or maybe even some different pairs of oppositions, right? Um, Based on the divisions that are existing between people and society today. We might put in uh, things related to race, we might put in things related to sexual orientation, gender identity, We might put things in related to uh, wealth and poverty Um, and and see in Paul's affirmation there's neither this nor that, Uh, there's neither that nor that, and and see a kind of call for equality. And I think that is implied in Paul's writing. Um, And so we can see it as a kind of call for Christian equality. Uh, but equality, I think, is taking too much of a lowball aim on this passage. Uh, because equality can just be like, um, well, you're no better than I am, or I'm as good as you are. Uh, and that's just wonderful. But Paul, actually, I think, is envisioning as these uh, relationships are brought into Christ, everyone is elevated into a new reality. Everyone is elevated into a new reality because they are living in a time now in which the spirit has been broken open by Christ's love, that the spirit might be formed in each one of us. How many of you uh, like the uh, UCC slogan, God is still speaking? I do too. Um, And I believe it. I believe the Holy Spirit, God, is still speaking. Um, Paul believes that God is still speaking not only in the sense of big picture new movements like the movement for LGBT equality and inclusion and affirmation, but that the Spirit is still speaking also into the heart of each person who believes. And the work of that spirit speaking into us, dwelling within us, and shaping us in light of God's love and investment in us is called spiritual formation. In uh, my class on uh, the art of spiritual listening, we uh, had occasion to talk this past week about what usually do we expect to happen when we uh, read the Bible? Well, m- most people said we kind of expect w- information to come out of that, that we're learning things with our head and, and, it's, and it's providing us with a, a new perspective or a, an orientation, a way of understanding things. And um, that's true, but we are actually uh, in the class learning ways that we can read Scripture and approach our lives not just for information, but for formation, to be shaped and formed in unity with Christ's Spirit and to grow in the fruits of the Spirit and knowledge and awareness of what God's um, Spirit has poured out in us for gifts to share in the world, what our spiritual gifts are. And because of that formation in us, that spiritual formation, we're constantly growing into who Christ means for us to be. I think one of the geniuses of John Wesley and the, the Methodist movement in its very beginnings, was that through the class meetings and the class structures where people got together weekly to ask each other, how is it with your soul and to encourage each other to uh, serve and to move on into works of of, uh, discipleship and, and to be accountable to each other, that Wesley kind of took spiritual formation and gave a method to it for each person. And it changed, it changed the church. Now we've been studying the uh, Elaine Heath book because obviously we have a lot of turmoil going on in our denomination right now. But I would say that before that, we had turmoil just going on in the Christian church in general in relation to, to a society that is no longer a kind of a Christian light nation. There's no longer a uniformity of a kind of assumed Christian culture and different messages coming from lots of different uh, sectors in society of school and, and uh, maybe even of government, of civic uh, institutions. And the church now is really got on much thinner ground to stand and help to promulgate its message. And so it's probably time for Christian formation to become much more intentional and much more seriously engaged because it is exactly Christian formation that reforms the church and brings us to reformation. So what are some ways that we can... uh, open ourselves up to learning how to listen to God, to being formed in God's Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and in our discipleship. Well, you know what some of the traditional things have been, right? Prayer, meditation, scripture study, Christian conferencing, conversation, fasting, worship, taking communion... Uh, works of mercy, uh, reaching out to people who are marginalized, acts of compassion, works of service. But I think for a new day and in our time and place, there are probably things that we need to do differently, maybe more spiritual formation practices to adopt or embrace. Think for a minute, if you will. What have you been doing in your life or thinking or what happened at some point in which you grew in your maturity in faith, in which you grew in your heart, which you grew in your courage to speak up or stand up or to do something that felt a little uncomfortable. What were you doing when that happened? Well, for me, as I was thinking about those things, I, I found some things I would add to the list of, of spiritually formative practices. Uh, for me, uh, I suppose it's maybe a little like fasting, but for me, thinking about um, my, uh, the way I eat and um, its impact on the world, on, on uh, the production cycle and how responsible it is, uh, in terms of care for the earth. That's almost like fasting for me. That's a spiritual practice. It helps me feel closer to God. Uh, one of the things that I have really felt has helped me grow spiritually has been interfaith dialogue, talking with Christians of different kinds and of Jews, of Muslims, of Buddhists, and learning about their path to God. It has not taken me away from Christ. It has made me see how amazingly gracious and creative God's Spirit is. One of the ways that I have grown as a person is by deeply engaging with people who live and face poverty because their journey is so different from mine and I have to stretch my thinking and my heart in order to be in relationship. The early mystics used to go out into the wilderness to grow spiritually. They'd find a cave to live in and eat the dew off the cactus and things. For today, I actually find that for uh, me, confined in our office or house, it's temperature controlled and climate controlled and very far removed from all natural processes. Being out in nature and learning to observe, pay attention to the birds, the trees, how things grow, tending and caring for creation in lots of different ways and learning about the science of bees and all their parts of creation. I find myself growing in wonder for God's creative power. Maybe recovery groups are part of God's creative way of forming us spiritually today. Perhaps we need to broaden our list of things that help us grow, but grow we can by God's gracious spirit. Let us not forget that the turmoil in which our church and our world rest right now is not God's final answer. God's final answer is to dwell within us and within our world. And by God's grace, it may be so. Amen.